0: Hey, snap question. What's the best adaptation of a video game made into a movie?
1: Uh, None. (laughs)
0: Uh. Hello, Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 84. I get excited, but I also pump the brakes because we're really getting close to 100, which numbers are always arbitrary. but That's amazing that we're going to be probably hitting 100, I think, in February of 2022, God willing, or March. I guess I have to do my math there. But anyway, this is Secret Movie Club Podcast 84. We got to live in the present. Today, we're talking about cinema on television. One of the impetuses for this podcast was so many film directors have directed some of their greatest work for television, but they still directed it as if it was cinema. Case in point, we're showing Fassbender's Berlin Alexanderplatz. There's famously here in the United States, David Lynch's Twin Peaks. There's also in Europe, where there's a much richer tradition of this, Igmar Bergman's Scenes for Marriage and Fanny and Alexander. There's Lars von Trier's The Kingdom 1 and 2. He's actually finishing it right now as we speak. His project right now is The Kingdom Part 3, which I may reference in Pop Culture and Final Thoughts. However, I think it's equally arguable that the TV renaissance, which was more or less started with David Chase's The Sopranos, and then produced Vince Gilligan's Breaking Bad, and David Simon's The Wire, and then on and on and on and on to this present day. You also could argue that those TV series were markedly different from what network the Patty Chayesky movie made fun of, which were half-hour sitcoms and 55-minute, hour-long procedurals, which had been the bread and butter of U.S. television ad nauseum. But you guys are going to take it wherever you want to go. That was a way too long intro. Who's with us today? Oh, hey, it's Daniel.
1: Hey, it's me, Conor Wade cruise the people's champion. Edwin is missing again.
0: That silence you hear is not Edwin Cesar Gomez, who we should take bets right now if he's going to pop in. You think he's going to pop in? Yeah, he'll pop in to
2: derail things for a second. I
0: think he'll pop in too. Okay. So none of us are betting against the general wisdom that Edwin will grace us with his presence at some point. I
1: think he's dead. No.
0: (laughs) Man, your secularism, Connor, keeps challenging my deep-seated superstition. He'll pop in and be like, I had a long
2: night. Watching movies. I
1: was too busy watching Return of the... Fat Dragon (laughs) 8, and now now I'm sleep-deprived.
2: Okay, we'll find out.
0: And I'm Craig, the founder, programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have you here. Uh, When you hear this recording, we will, God willing, have just finished, in some ways, one of our most ambitious programming risks ever, which was five straight days of Rainer Werner Fassbinder's Berlin Alexanderplatz. And we're actually selling tickets for that. People are getting tickets for all five days. It may be a very select group, but I think we're almost in double digits on that. And I'm very happy about that because I was doing that no matter what. When this comes out, if you want to, although you will have no context whatsoever for what you're watching, you can watch the two hour epilogue that Fassbender did to Berlin Alexander Platz, which I'm not going to say because I don't want to ruin it all. Well, maybe I will ruin it because today's episode Cinema and Television. We'll talk about it. But come join us tonight for the final episode at the Secret Movie Club Theater starting at 8 p.m. Tomorrow, December 11th, we will be finishing uh, December is all about wrapping up loose ends. We will be finishing our Stanley Kubrick Director of the Year 2020 season in December of 2021 when we screen the final two movies we did not screen of his, Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut, both on 35mm at the uh, Million Dollar Theater starting at 6.30pm. Interestingly, Clockwork Orange inaugurated a storytelling structure that Kubrick would employ for every single movie he would make except for The Shining, which is really interesting. And that's his famous first half, second half structure. It starts in Clockwork Orange. It happens in Barry Lyndon. He skips it in The Shining, which interestingly may have been more because of Stephen King than him. He returns to it in Full Metal Jacket, and you get it again in Eyes Wide Shut, where there's a first half, something cataclysmic happens at the midpoint, and then the second half is a total reconfiguration or relook at the first half. And then Tuesday, December 14th, we're going to be showing on 35 millimeter, Vim Vendor's Wings of Desire, a movie I love about angels that hover over Berlin just before actually the reunification of Germany. If that sounds a little too ethereal for you or does not intrigue your more secular agnostic atheist mind, it's just a beautiful film. And and if you approach it more as a metaphor, it's just incredible snapshot of Europe in the 1980s before the European Union and the reunification of Germany. It's beautifully shot, too, and uh, just very emotional. And Peter Falk shows up as Peter Falk which is kind of nutty and then a uh, wednesday december 15th our very final Fassbender, of twenty twenty one, my personal favorite Fassbender movie in a year of thirteen moons. This was the movie that Fassbender made, basically right after the suicide of his lover Armin Meyer. And there's a lot of it that's very autobiographical. This is about a transgender woman, Elvira, who wants to visit the lover that spurned her, and she spends three days of her life just wondering about the decisions in her life. She was a butcher before she became Elvira, and Armin was a butcher. Before he was Fassbender's lover I really can't do justice to this movie It's pretty mind-blowing And it has a meta-narrative Among many other things Please come see it It's my favorite Fassbinder. It's a a masterpiece Among masterpieces And then Thursday We are doing A 35mm screening Of Ed Wood All these screenings Wings of Desire In A Year of 13 Moons And Ed Wood Are all at the Secret Movie Club Theater All starting at 8pm And all God willing On 35 So we'd love to have you Ed Wood Connor has said it Many people consider this Possibly Tim Burton's masterpiece It basically stars Johnny Depp As real life Z director Ed Wood Who made famous The So Bad It's Good Plan 9 from Outer Space And it's about Ed Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi Played by Martin Landau Among many other I love Bill Murray's supporting part in this This is like one of my favorite Bill Murray supporting roles Who's just sort of a I don't know how you would describe Bill Murray But a pansexual friend of Ed Wood's
1: I love the moment (laughs) They're getting baptized He's like, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he goes, sure (laughs) (laughs)
0: That is his greatest Moment in the movie But it's just great He commits to the role And he's totally happy To support And I think it's It's just another reason Why I love Bill Murray But there's so many People in here Including an encounter With Orson Welles Which is pretty Hilarious too So come see that And then uh, we'll Announce the rest Of our events On the next podcast And as always You can write us At community At secretmovieclub.com You can check out Everything we're doing At secretmovieclub.com I just found out That our short film festival Should be coming out Sometime in December So when you you hear this please just go to youtube and youtube cinema 35 secret movie club film festival and it should pop up uh los angeles rises was the theme and by the time you hear this podcast we should have started to announce or we will announce monday december 13th begin announcing our january february march schedule we're returning to the quarter so you will actually hear about events on a rolling level probably won't announce them all in one day but you'll hear about January, February, March 2021. Cinema on television is something I've been fascinated by. I will define it as simply as I can as a work made for television and for the medium of television with, however, the very obvious influence or intention of producing something cinematically. The easiest way I can explain that is a lot of filmmakers have these uh, movie ideas, but they're 10-hour ideas, or they're 15-hour ideas. And there's just no way, unless someone Peter Jackson, uh, New Line Pictures-esque, is willing to bankroll, because it's a pre-existing property, a trilogy or something, There's very unlikely that a movie studio, especially in this day and age, if it's an original idea, is going to risk... 15 hours that they're going to want you to break Up into four movies or what have you So a lot of filmmakers then go Okay I'm going to TV because this is perfect For TV I'm going to do it as a limited Series or a mini series And then they get to do that idea I've already covered It but David Lynch did it with Twin Peaks Bergman did it with Scenes from A Marriage and Fanny and Alexander uh, Lars von Trier did it with The Kingdom 1 and 2 and he's now wrapping that up With The Kingdom 3 Fassbender Famously did it with Berlin Alexander and there are probably a whole bunch of projects i'm not even mentioning that could be conceived of this way. I have ideas. By the way, i've had an idea since i was 18 years old that i'm still determined to make and i think it could only exist somehow at least starting on tv.
1: I think it's interesting because i do think the same way that sometimes obviously there's going to be movies that are produced from a very commercial standpoint. But even those are going to have this artistry in them. There's going to be voices that shape what it is. And I think that like even old sitcoms still have an artistry and a voice behind them. And so I think it's interesting. I personally want to blow up. I'm in 1984 and I'm throwing the thing at the screen. I kind of want to blow up the difference between, TV and film, not in terms of form, because I understand that they're different, but to me, they're more different in the way that like a song is versus an album. Obviously, there's the production of them that can be very, very different. But in terms of like the techniques and the art form and stuff, it is the same art form. It's hard to really for me to conceptualize what the actual difference is.
2: There's like this obsession with classifying what something is in that regard, especially with stuff where they're like, well, oh, it's actually an 18 hour movie. No, it's not. It's not that it is a TV show. As if that's a negative, though. It's almost like there's a negative connotation to the art of TV that has somehow formed. With a concept that Twin Peaks The Return as this 18-part thing that exists as a TV production.
1: It's like when people call Watchmen a graphic novel, which is technically true, but it came out as a comic book. Yeah,
2: but calling it a comic is like some type of heresy. It confuses me because I think the end goal, like you're saying... The end result is is this experience that someone defined in a way that worked the best to make the story happen. But giving it a classification that isn't, you know, movie is somehow a negative, which is fascinating to me. And I, I think it is a, an important distinction between the two in regards to what they are. Because I think you go, you create them in a different method. A television is segmented. It, ha- it has to be told in a way that the close of every piece is individual and functions on an individual level in the same way that you have something like Lord of the Rings, which is three movies that are connected, but they still have to be cohesive, singular things that function on their own. TV is a different ask. My struggle with television in terms of keeping up is... How much of it? Yeah, there's, there's so much. And the way it's presented, I think streaming stuff, Netflix has sort of popularized this idea of, oh, we're going to drop everything at once.
1: I hate it. I love... One of the things that's unique to television is is that week to week basis of watching something and then being able to like talk to people and be like, hey, what'd you think of this? Especially like Twin Peaks, The Return. I reject the idea of it as a movie because that was the most exciting experience every week was like watching it and then turning to my friends and be like, what the hell? Like, like, what do you think that was about? I wish nobody watched Watchmen when it was coming out with me, but I was having that own conversation with myself every week. I was like, whoa, look, I can't believe that's happening. And then I'd be like, are you guys watching this? And everyone's like, no. It doesn't work
2: to same. I think, I mean, for me, from a personal experience, I cannot binge things. I I don't retain. I don't get the same type of enjoyment. So I think that structure of sort of the space between very heavy, intense hours or 30 minutes or whatever of television is really impactful. And I think the type of storytelling is different. You have this room to work on things that movies don't always allow. And it presents a different thing from like technical standpoint because the production, the length of things dictates a different type of production that has a distinct look. I think places like HBO are really trying to capture TV that looks like movies. And to a degree, I think there's a production quality that exists for stuff like some of the miniseries they put out. Uh, which I think we'll get into later some of the stuff we really like but it has a distinct look that I think is different than that and it's again something that gets classified as a negative for some reason.
1: I think one of the biggest differences and maybe the difference that people are, are consciously or subconsciously latching onto, is that to engage with auteur theory for a moment which is the idea that film has like a single author in film it's almost always the director. But in television, it's usually the showrunner, which is more of a writing and producing job. And oftentimes those people don't direct at all, but they're still the strongest voices. I was going to bring up specifically two, I think, TV auteurs, because I think when you watch their stuff, it's unmistakably their voice. One is Dan Harmon who did Community and Rick and Morty and other comedy shows, I think it's impossible to be like, oh, that's not Dan Harmon. And then I think similarly, Damon Lindelof, who did Lost and The Leftovers and Watchmen, those shows also all have a very unifying Voice that feel very unique to him And I think that they're both like genuinely Great artists they just decided to go On TV instead of film
0: The interesting thing is when you look at the Roots of TV they were doing All this experimentation in the 50s So there was a Playhouse 90 Where it was like a live play on TV and if you watch those Playhouse 90s which launched like Patty Chiesky and Rod Serling of Twilight Zone they're pretty incredible Orson Welles uh, made And I want to still see it you can watch it in a really bootleg grainy on YouTube. He made a pilot in the fifties for TV called the fountain of youth. And to your point, he wasn't interested in making a movie. He wanted to use the medium of TV and figure out, cause he was just this restless experimenter. What is TV and what, wh- how can I use that medium to do something exciting? And I would point forward to what you guys are saying too. I love television. And I, I actually really appreciate Daniel making the point he did because I am guilty of, Forgetting and not acknowledging just how important and how vital and how much great work has come out of TV because I'm so movie oriented. And so, maybe even in framing this podcast, I needed to do a little re examining because, for instance, one of my favorite things ever is Aqua Teen Hunger Force. On cartoon networks adult swim and when adult swim came out and offered these adult five to ten minute cartoons that were just the height of absurdity that really could only exist between eleven thirty p.m and 12 a.m for a very select audience that loved what the f is this and did you guys watch when adult swim started doing those commercials that they wouldn't tell you were commercials and they were like Something was wrong about them and they turned out To be really disturbing short films But they initially seemed like I don't know if you guys saw the one that was about An an anti-depression medication And you were like what is this even funny Where the mom seemed to have a psychotic Break and then there was my my Favorite one which I love did you guys see too many Cooks oh yeah and too many cooks was For people who don't know and you should YouTube this Too many cooks was what appeared to be The beginning of a sitcom called too many Cooks and it had a really catch. and you were Like oh I never heard of this is this something new but the intro never ended it just kept going and suddenly it kept going and it kept going and then it too devolved into a serial killer storyline which then devolved into an existential story about like living forever or the afterworld or you couldn't really figure out what it was saying
1: aqua teen hunger for specifically dave willis is the sort of main voice behind that. Literally one of the voices on the show, but the creator, and he's created other shows, including Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Aqua
0: Teen Hunger Force was this thing when I was in college. My sister introduced me to it. That... It seems to be about what would be a McDonald's Happy Meal, essentially. So a codependent Frylock, who's like a box of fries, who's maybe the most responsible, but you don't know because he seems to do a horrible job at it. Shake, Master Shake. It's kind of like superego, ego, ego, and id. And then Master Shake is just constantly getting them into trouble. And then Wad, who seems to be an uncooked burger patty, who can change himself into essentially three forms. They all live in a house in New Jersey, and next door is their New Jersey neighbor Carl who's like constantly consuming porn and obsessed with monster cars and every episode is ostensibly about a monster. They never solve anything. They... Constantly bicker amongst each other And then it's just absurdity and When I saw it I was like this is the most Brilliant thing I've ever seen and I Would try to show it to other people and other people would Be like what is the point of this show and I'm like that's The point and they were like w- w- I don't get it and I was like I don't know how to Explain it to you so anyway I'm Not really and I never have been a huge TV consumer if I have any free Time I do choose movies and the thing That I've said and this is totally Subjective I'm also not a video game player As much as I love video games because I realized in my early twenties, I had a personality that if I kept playing video games, I won't get anything done because I have to beat them. I just, I'm very like goal oriented. And so uh, I was like, I have to stop because I would literally make up excuses why I had to tank 30 hours of my week to beating like Ocarina of Time or whatever. And so I was like, "I I can't do this. And so I think because of of me and the the limitations i've put on myself in this short existence i love consuming movies that are 90 minutes to three and a half, four hours because I consume them. There's a beginning, middle and end. I can go do other things. I can come back and consume. It's also a kind of storytelling that I like. The one time that I really engaged with the Renaissance was I watched The Wire. Also too, I think I've told you guys this. I also don't like being elitist. I hate that. What I did was I watched David Simon's The Wire because, you know, whatever. And now The Wire is sort of old news. I mean, so much TV has come out of it since then. But people were talking about how The Wire was the best or one of the best. And a lot of people because I love I love novels a lot of people were saying well Craig Because you love novels the most novelistic Is the wire it's like Dostoevsky or Tolstoy but What's great is it's about systems in Baltimore and and I know everyone knows this I'll make It real quick the wire is basically About the drug war in Baltimore and It's five seasons and David Simon The showrunner had to fight I think After the first two seasons to keep it on And every season would focus on a different System so the first season essentially Focuses on the police force the Second season focuses on dock workers, interestingly. The third season focuses on, I believe, like, I want to remember this right, but the third season is when they try to create a sort of law-free zone like Amsterdam, essentially, where they can get everybody who does drugs to just go there so it doesn't affect the rest of the city. Season four dealt with teachers and education, ostensibly. And I think season three may have also dealt with politics and a mayoral race. And then season five essentially dealt with journalism. And I loved it. It was brilliant. There are things in that, actors in that, storylines in that, scenes from that. This is where Idris Elba, Idris Elba basically rose to power as Stringer Bell, and it was also this thing where things would happen in it that I know you guys are going to laugh at cuz you've watched so much TV, but things would happen in it. Like I remember this thing which I won't talk about, but this thing happened I think at the end of season 3 where you were like, I thought this guy was supposed to be our main character and then suddenly he was just iced, but he was killed in a way that was so great. And really brought together You were like, oh, all bets are off And this is how it would be Someone you thought was a main character I mean, that's life, that's the drug war And then people you thought were really minor characters Would suddenly come to the fore And you're like, that's life too So I love that but for me, I have like one TV idea that's a sitcom idea that I would be totally happy to have go on forever, as long as it was funny, you know? And I have another idea that's kind of like an Aqua Teen Hunger Force idea that I think works best as 10-minute chunks, 15-minute chunks. And that idea I would love to do as long as people would let me do it. Other than that, though, most of my ideas are uh, movie ideas Because the thing that I find frustrating in the TV form is if your show is a success, you have to keep it going, I feel. And if you had, you were like, this is really where my idea ended, but the network is throwing you tons of money. (laughs) And they're like, but if you sign for three more years, you're going to make $100 million. And even in The Wire, I found myself looking back at that 60 hours of television or whatever some things have really faded and other things are vibrant
1: i understand what you're saying i would say one especially as someone who likes a lot of more like genre blockbustery stuff i think that that idea of forced continuization is sort of a risk in movies as well and so i don't think there's a difference there i think the bigger thing might be is that at a certain point you do have to start like choosing like you've seen the show before so you're like "Oh, i'm not gonna watch Season four of Community again. I don't need to watch that. I'm just going to watch these seasons because I, I understand what you mean, where when you have so much of something, it does start to dilute everything because if you feel like you have that obligation to view it as a whole but i don't know like there are still like pieces of community or something that are like e- even though that's a show that definitely had like a weird double life where it had like three progressively more Frankenstein versions of itself until it finally got canceled but there are stuff in those first couple seasons and even stuff in later seasons that i still think is like top tier comedy sitcom like ideas about that kind of stuff
0: i might my- favorite sitcom of all time is Cheers. But I'm also a huge fan. And, I, you know, this is no hot take. I'm also a huge fan of I Love Lucy, actually, and other sitcoms. And like you said, Connor, I never feel an obligation to watch the entire thing because many sitcoms are structured so you can watch the episodes and just kind of dive in and dive out. And, and there are certain Cheers episodes that I'm obsessed with, that I that I revisit.
1: That's actually a good, a good point, is I, I tend to, oftentimes, I think Dan Harmon and Damon Lindelof both do this, even if Damon Lindelof's stuff that he does is usually, like, bigger, overarching stories, is I, I tend to prefer TV that knows it's TV, with the weird exception of The Return, which is its own kind of beast. I tend to get go crazy when watching stuff like Game of Thrones, where it's just, like, a lot of check-ins, where it's like, here's five minutes with this character. We've marked off the box. We've seen it. As opposed to, like, again, to pump up my boy Damon, you know, you watch like The Leftovers or Watchmen Are or Lost it originated this, and you'll have episodes where the person you think is the main character basically isn't in it because it's focusing on the secondary character. And I think that's like a strength that TV has that so few shows utilize. And it kind of drives me nuts because why wouldn't you utilize it if you're doing an ensemble show? Why wouldn't you use the TV format to have more structured, specific stories about different characters? But nobody does it except for David Lindelof and maybe somebody else I'm forgetting.
0: So since we're talking about some kind of hybrid here, that's a, you know, we're secret movie club and we're talking about movies and TV in this. What are some TV works, works of television that you feel are these beautiful hybrids of cinema and TV or interesting hybrids of cinema and TV?
2: The go-to of the combination that sort of fits in both worlds is like the sort of return of miniseries that's been happening. I think HBO is a big purveyor of that. But even stuff like Disney's been doing it with Marvel and Star Wars properties that are sort of these, I mean, they've sometimes will be expanded into multiple seasons, but they're Sort of these concise or more concise, like, Honey, Mike Flanagan doing it, where there's sort of these things that can exist as they need to be longer than a, a standard film. Doesn't really make sense from a marketing financial standpoint to make them into multiple movies. So you have these like, however many parts it needs to be, extensive character drama type things. I think Honey the Hill House, Bly Manor, and Midnight Mass fall into that, that are taking flanagan's work in film but conveying it into a long form that feels like it's earned every minute of it my issue with a lot of of long form tv stuff is often like fluff where i feel like they've added stuff i think connor was nailing it where you just feel like you're checking in with stuff or you just have these moments where like why am i what is this doing for me not necessarily for the plot but am i getting anything out of the character work here to quantify the existence of this.
1: I remember the old Netflix Marvel shows. They talk about how it was like 13 hours, 13 episodes, and they would write them like they would superimpose a three act structure on the entire 13 episodes. And it's like, that's such a bad idea. (laughs) And it sucked because the few times that those shows would do more like singular episodes, they would sing because the casting was so good and the aesthetics were really solid, but then it would just be so much just middle
2: it's like 13 hours, two hours a story. <laughs> but there's stuff like Chernobyl from a few years ago was five parts and really felt like it was this. It needed every moment of that. And I do think there's an interesting thing, whereas older TV, network TV required a specific time, you know, 22 minutes for a 30 minute show, 44 minutes for an hour show. And they had to fit every episode in that mold, which I think is an interesting logistical thing creatively because you really have to make sure that you're going to hit these things for this to focus. But a lot of newer stuff on streaming doesn't have that requirement anymore. So a show can sort of ebb and flow to fit the story that it's telling per episode, which I kind of like. You know, you'll get something like You'll get a 33-minute episode sometimes, but sometimes it's 47 because it needed a little bit more time to sort of tell its story.
1: I've seen that where it's been a bad thing. I remember the last season of Community was on Yahoo, and so the the episodes of that were like 25 to 30 minutes, and I was always like, this is too long. Like, like, this isn't tight enough.
2: It's the same thing where you think about, like, from a budget, how it restricts how it can be a really beautiful thing or a really... Like the original Star Wars versus the prequels. I also think, as just a quick aside, I think every time a great show is out and it has, like, a bottle episode and people are like, what a stupid episode. I always feel like I'm on the other end of, like, that was a... What a lovely moment to stop this, like forward progression of plot to spend some time in character i think a lot about the episode the fly and breaking bad which is just the two main characters cooking meth in this underground lab trying to kill a fly and the entire (laughs) thing is to like stop for a moment and really like articulate where they are mentally directed by ryan johnson true
1: also a result of a budget constraint they ran out of money and they needed an extra hour that season and so they created this bottle episode using a set they already had. And it's one of the best episodes of the show, I think. Yeah,
2: it doesn't feel like... Because Ted Lasso, the Apple TV show this season, had they were requested two more episodes this season. And you can kind of feel that those two episodes were were tagged on, even if they're relatively enjoyable. But I, I think a lot about that. The episode of The Fly, people are like, oh, it's the worst episode, nothing happens. And I'm like, no, it's really great. Like, There's so much character work. You're really getting into the headspace of like, these characters' lives have changed so dramatically in these seasons. What is it like to spend just an extended period of time in one place with them to, like, go over their psyche?
0: In movies, I've always loved it, and I always think it's a strength of great movies where the movie itself will slow down for a character beat that doesn't seem really germane to the forward thrust of the narrative, which is a very American thing. And yet, when you get to the end of the movie, you're often like, well, that was one of the best parts of the movie, or somehow that really illuminated in this wordless way the character or the theme. And so it's interesting, I think, in both cinema and TV, the talent of... Being able to do something that you could call standalone that isn't just in service of fan service or narrative is a real talent that actually I think few people have. And maybe there's something more oceanic and deep about what we mean about standalone. But I haven't seen Breaking Bad, but I would imagine that weirdly that episode you just described, Daniel the Fly, would be an episode I would love. Cause I always loved when episodes would
2: do something and you just kind of, I'd like, I was always willing to I'd like, okay, I'll go along for an hour with this. Like, why not? I think both TV and movie are a very personal thing, but also kind of radiate community in a lot of things. I think what we do at Ticum Movie Club is speaking to community, but it's also a very personal thing in the way you take art and TV because it has this structure typically in week to week, that it's a conversation point. It's sort of a cultural thing. That's what they want it to be. When you get to something like that, meeting week to week to watch Breaking Bad and sort of just so much forward progression, it's getting more and more stressful. And you have this very weird moment. It's nice because you it's not about predicting what comes next. It's talking about sort of what came before that led to it. And it was a really interesting conversation piece to have to wrap around when we're so used to being like trying to predict the future versus this thing that doesn't really give you that instead and makes you kind of reflect. And I think that's sort of the power in movie or television In moments like that
0: I've always said this My Desert Island movie Seven Samurai and you almost wonder if today, well, who knows, but, you know, there's that great thing before the big battle where they spend a half hour the night before the big battle, and you're just in the village, and one character sleeps with another character, the main guy cracks a joke, everybody's just sort of sitting there drinking, and, and it, it is, it works totally for the story, but it, it's pretty bold that you know the final conflict's coming in Seven Samurai, and suddenly for 25 minutes, you're just spending the night before the battle with the folks and yet it seems utterly necessary just to give a concrete example to what i was talking about
1: there's a bunch of little shows i've written down here we haven't even really talked about animation which is its own sort of thing i love batman the animated series which i still think is the best adaptation f live action it's kevin conroy's smooth buttery voice that's <laughs> batman for me i've mentioned watchmen several times which is the sort of sequel to the comic book they made on hbo I love Freaks and Geeks. It's probably one of the shows that elicits the biggest emotional reaction for me. But I I think the prime example, Big Papa number one, is Twin Peaks is just otherworldly twin peaks is weird because it kind of transcends tv and film to me it's just when i think of twin peaks it just is twin peaks
0: especially i would say by season three
1: it is still consumed mostly as tv but even parts of it are movies and then the parts of it that are tv are kind of like movies but they're still tv it's like lynch is just erasing I don't even know if he's doing this purposely necessarily, but there is almost like an erasure of the importance of the difference. And especially now with like multimedia stuff with things like the missing pieces. So now there's like a part of Twin Peaks that is canon that is just special features. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like deleted scenes. Twin Peaks is just beautiful and so infused with all sorts of things that I love, both the horror and the positive stuff in it, the reaffirming stuff. I find Twin Peaks, despite the fact that a lot that most Twin Peaks ends on a negative note to a certain degree, I find Twin Peaks a very heartwarming thing, a very wholesome thing, a very life affirming thing. I think it's just beautiful.
0: We are going to do a Twin Peaks podcast. So this is not that podcast. But Lynch was asked that someone actually pointed out to Lynch. They were like, you know, personally, you're a very upbeat person. And personally, you actually have a pretty optimistic world and spiritual view why then is twin peaks so <laughs> devastating and rough and lynch his comment i can't say it like him was and i think this was specifically in regards to season 3 and i think he was saying well there's sort of a balance there you, you know if i'm this way this way that balance comes out in the expression this way and he said it much better than i did but i mean like you said connor i approach twin peaks with a feeling of joy even though it deals with the darkest thematics you could possibly deal with it is a weird odd bird and and i agree you used that great word last time but it is however you pronounce this sui generis
1: and i'm also i'm on team to me all of twin peaks is my favorite i know that's a controversial take i don't actually think that to a certain degree but I take the good with the bad.
0: Uh, Are you talking about like the second half of season two?
1: Yeah, Twin Peaks to me is just (laughs) as much episode eight and the pilot and the first introduction to the red room as it is civil war ben (laughs) civil war ben is intrinsically in the dna of twin peaks even the alien cave even the alien cave i like the alien cave more than i like civil war ben (laughs) (laughs) alien cave's kind of cool
0: and they weave it into season three weirdly they found a way to weave in alien cave where i was like oh whoa it's all important. They
1: didn't find a way to leave Civil War Ben into season three, unfortunately. Other than <laughs>
0: his return, other than he came back.
1: But he was already, I think by the end of season two, he's in his like weird, um, he's like really into fitness and stuff and like saving the environment.
0: I can't completely remember, but I know what you're talking about. Civil War <laughs> yeah. Ben was, and there was that whole season two thing where James goes and is the servant of some hot rich woman
1: that's the worst stuff yeah
0: and you're like what why are we here
1: civil war ben at least has like a for people who don't know in season two of twin peaks they kind of resolved everything because the network made them and david lynch left and so the show is kind of in a tailspin and they start doing things with characters that are really stupid and one of the stupidest is one of the characters ben horn this kind of like wealthy capitalist sort of character i don't know if he bonks his head or if he just wakes up and he <laughs> he suddenly thinks he's like a uh, robert e lee right he's like like a major general in the civil war for the south specifically and it becomes like a weird wizard of oz thing sort of it's terrible but it's terrible in a way i find very charming and funny
0: i love igmar bergman's scenes from a marriage, which they just remade with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. And I didn't see, but because Bergman specifically used a five episode structure and every episode is an hour and it's a a scene or a chapter in the life of this marriage. And I thought, wow, this is both a great filmic structure and a great TV structure. And I've told this story before about Bergman being so delighted because by episode three or four or five, he said he would look out of his apartment in Stockholm or something and no one would be out on the street because they're watching scenes from a marriage. I also just want to plug here, and I can't wait for it, Lars von Trier's The Kingdom parts one and two. Have you guys ever seen The Kingdom? Oh, it's so good. Interestingly, Connor, von Trier did The Kingdom because his mind was blown by Twin Peaks. So he watched Twin Peaks in 1990 and he was like, David Lynch is a god. And then he came up with the idea with his writing partner for The Kingdom, which was so choice and juicy and pulpy. But the premise of The Kingdom is, and it's this Danish miniseries, each season is five hours, I believe. Each season's five episodes. And the premise is Denmark's major hospital is built on an ancient burial ground. And what happens in every season is these super Natural things happen in the hospital The opener of season one is dynamite Where these two orderlies are like three in the morning Talking and one orderly says This thing happens at 3am every morning This is the opening scene and he says This ambulance this 1950s ambulance Shows up outside that door with soaped windows and you can't see inside it And then it disappears and the new orderly Is like yeah 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 and then suddenly the ambulance Shows up outside the doors And it's, you're like oh man we're like not even Three minutes into this series this is great And then Udukir is in it And all this supernatural stuff happens It's great And then season one ended on a cliffhanger Which is something that TV can do great Unless you're doing a trilogy in, in movies And so it ends on this cliffhanger And you're like, what? And then they made season two Maybe a year or two later All the characters came back it's even more fascinating. And then season two ended on a major cliffhanger. And then what happened, unfortunately was the two leads who were both in their sixties. I believe their sixties, seventies. It was this thing where the woman represented good and the man sort of represented bad. That's a little overly simplistic, but they both passed away. And so Von Trier basically said, I think I have to put this on the shelf because I had season three written, but, what can I do? They they passed, and then he saw Twin Peaks: The Return, and he saw how David <laughs>
2: Lynch, he
0: saw how David Lynch dealt with Bob, and who was this great actor who had passed
1: and. Um- michael antkeen also who was who the co-lead in the original show and was still alive but too sick i think or didn't want retired like rick
0: moranis and um jack nance even though jack was always a side character had passed away i think piper Laurie had passed away or wasn't able to work there were a few other pretty significant portions and lynch you know one of lynch's strengths is adapting And so Lynch adapted and made this this crazy thing. So now Von Trier is doing it and I can't wait to see it. uh, Season three. What I so love about Orson Welles, among many things, is that Wells, despite how people may conceive of him as this guy who made Citizen Kane, Wells was a restless experimenter. And if you've never seen Have you guys seen F is for fake? It's his Documentary but what he did was He kind of came up with this essay documentary Form where he said I'm going to take the Documentary but I'm going to also turn it Into this essay where Some of it's fiction some of it's documentary Some of it's found footage some of it's New footage and he created this totally New form and Wells said he was Really bummed out that F is for fake didn't Really make a lot of money because he thought he Had discovered the form he would make for The rest of his life and then he discovered No one wanted to see those (laughs) movies And he was like oh man
1: It almost sounds like it's like a video essay like on YouTube Now
0: that is exactly what it is And he invented it or did A version of it 50 years Before it was relevant 40 years before it was Relevant and that's that was always Wells's curse was his brilliance was always Just being way ahead of everybody else but I Think what I say there is that what Wells would Do and maybe what Connor you're saying what Lynch Would do is they would say what's the medium I'm working in what are the Native strengths of this medium what could I do different than what's been done before? And how can I innovate and experiment with this medium? And I hope that I would approach cinema on television the same way. That's how I not shoehorning a movie into a TV
2: thing or shoehorning TV into a movie thing. Quite obsessing over the classification, write the story that you want to write and pick the format that it fits as if we can just go get things made. But in the context <laughs> of how we obsess over it, I think each form has a unique way of storytelling that benefits in the best cases benefits it's the way it's told and watch your great tv watch your great movies they can both be great they don't have to be the other thing around each other i don't get why we care so much hey it's not tv it's tv it's tv it's not it's it's not tv it's it's actually it is (laughs) it is tv that's okay it's great (laughs) Alright, moving on, pop culture final thoughts. Who wants to lead off? I saw I went to see Come On Come On, the new Mike Mills movie. It's great. It's beautiful. It's about uh Walking Phoenix and a very I like Walking Phoenix, but understated Walking Phoenix is not something I have really thought about, and he is he's very good in this. I think he's a documentary filmmaker, but he feels like a podcast audio guy, and he's he's Creating a project about gifted children and sort of gets to, in the story, spend a lot of time with his nephew who's struggling with his parents or struggling with some stuff. And so they sort of bond over the shared connection of the sensitivity between them. And it's it's really, it's a really beautiful film. And then I also saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. What's the review? Uh, Real bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's the equivalent of if the way you like to watch movies is with IMDb open pointing out what (laughs) actors been in what and what things you recognize from other movies that you've seen, you're going to love this film. This film is all about, Hey, remember that joke in the first movie where so-and-so got a crunch bar? Well, guess what? That crunch bar is in this movie. There's this thing that happened. I think star Wars, the force awakened sort of recanned a new hope and brought in these really interesting characters and sort of this way to move the story to the new characters that was, a retread, but also a fun time. I think we've somehow taken that as, oh, if we remake the original as a new property and weave in old stuff, that's what people want. And maybe it is what they want. The legacy. Cool. Yeah, the sequel. Cool. I hate crapping on stuff, but it was very bad. Uh, except the lead, McKenna Grace, I think her name is. She's great. I think she's got a great career ahead of her but it is a wink a minute nightmare.
0: And does that include so then when uh, Ackroyd and and Hudson show up, that's not even enjoyable? The
2: problem that it sets is because them showing up is a like this revelation moment type of thing where it's supposed to be like, wow. It undermines all of the not character work that's been happening with these other people because they're immediately overshadowed by it would be like, you know, you bring in Force Awakens brings in Han Solo early on to be a part of the story. I don't want to spoil Ghostbusters Afterlife, but I'm happy to hear some counterpoints from people that that may be listening that enjoyed it, but it was not for me.
0: What's interesting, Daniel, is I don't know about your Facebook feed because your friends are all roughly 10 to 15 years younger than sort of my peers. My peers all are posting about... Many of them, how they enjoy it, but their note is always nostalgia. Their note is always, oh, you know, this was a trip back to the '80s, and and again, not to not to knock that at all. I mean, the cinema is subjective, and nostalgia is totally valid and a feeling I get. But it it seems to be what you're saying that what they enjoy is, I guess, the references or the callbacks or the nostalgia of it.
2: It's directed by Ivan Reit- Reitman's son. I wonder how he got that job. But just the concept of like. Paying tribute to like your dad, it's it's bizarre. I'm I'm very curious to see sort of see like reflections on this in twenty years once we're kind of past the legacy sequel legacy sequel idea. Because there's little moments where like there's little character things that are make sense in his career and the rest. I don't know. It's got one good part. There's a part where they're busting ghosts through town in a car, and I was like, hey, this is fun. They're actually ghost busting. And then there's the rest of the movie.
0: My son and my daughters, they love to dance, which makes them really happy. They totally get that from their mom, who's Latina. And it just makes, like, my son's got moves. I look, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. Because I love dancing, but I dance like a chicken. I still dance. I don't care. So what we do is we'll turn on YouTube or Vivo, and we'll find music videos. But interestingly, as a parent, I turned on Vivo, and the first thing was an Ed Sheeran music video where he's a vampire. And... my son has a real vivid imagination like I did. I had night terrors as a kid. And I was like, I don't need my kid. You know, I totally (laughs) respect... This Ed Sheeran music video and I'm all for that so then I try to find one and I find Lizzo and we all like Lizzo And Marta likes Lizzo because Lizzo's really body positive and stuff in her videos and I'm all down for that So we go to Lizzo, but then there's like naked dude ass in this video and Lizzo's all naked It's in black and white and I'm watching this and Craigie's dancing to Lizzo and Marta and Carmen and Pammy are all and I'm and in my head I'm thinking well I'm okay with this because it's about sex And I'm all right with them asking me Questions about sex and I mean I hope Craigie doesn't have nightmares about This idea of You know men and women and men and men and women and women whatever like i'm totally open to to answer that and then finally Craigie just wanted post malone sunflowers from spider-man into the spider-verse which is his go-to song so he put in post malone and then Craigie did this little spider-man dance he does and he put his action figure spider-man in front of the tv yeah and it was like a whole a whole thing for him so he put spider-man in front of the post malone into the spider-verse video and then he did these great moves and i got it on video and I was really happy. And my whole family was there. And I was like, I don't know what this is about the current moment in life. But here we are using our streaming services to Bevo, Lizzo and Spider-Man music videos. So my son and my daughter and my other daughter and my wife can all dance and we can all laugh on a Sunday. So, I, you know what? I love that you can do that. And that's a beautiful thing. And I hope to God, as long as I'm alive, I will never grumble or uh, never complain about new technology because there's always beauty in new technology and you just have to find it and enjoy it and, you know, preserve what's great about what came before and learn what's great about what's here and explore what's about right around the corner. And I hope I'm always like that. And that was a great spontaneous moment. Edwin, God bless you because you were just about to make suckers out of all of us because we all made a bet that you would show up Late, but you would show up on this podcast And we were about to wrap it up So, Daniel was just explaining his ambivalent Not really ambivalent even He was explaining how he didn't really dig Ghostbusters Afterlife You, you can run with that And then you can use your pop culture for whatever Or you can talk to us about your thoughts on cinema As television, cinema on television
2: is great, man I grew up watching television Not necessarily the big stuff like Breaking Bad and uh, Mad Men No, I, I watched the classics I need water.
0: Yeah, are you okay? Do you have a sore throat, or is that just your I woke up five minutes ago voice? And this is how I sound like waking up. I'm trying. Okay. I watched The A-Team, Incredible Hulk, uh, Cheers, which is my personal favorite. Yet again, something we miraculously agree on. Yeah, yeah, because Cheers will always be the greatest show ever. And also, I guess Twin Peaks. You don't have to like Twin Peaks. Hey, man,
1: I watched it because of you. Because of you, Craig but I I now know who the killer is. And it's still annoying. Ghostbusters Afterlife? Yeah, yes. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the greatest thing. The
0: greatest... Dang! this year! Better than licorice pizza? No. No, licorice pizza better.
2: Saw it twice. I had COVID this year, and I would rather go through that than sit through Ghostbusters Afterlife again. Whoa!
0: There's a poll quote for you. Go to hell. Alright. Well, Edwin, just give us a one-liner. What was it about Ghostbusters Afterlife you liked? Ramus. Tears. Came out of my eyes. I hope they came out of your eyes. Where else would they come out?
1: Blood came out of Daniel's eyes. But-
2: <laughs> <laughs> Years knowing more minutes of the movie had I had left. Whoa. Me. Daniel Unchained.
1: It's everybody's favorite game within the show. What did that happen on Riverdale? Speaking of TV, I'm gonna tell three things that might have happened on a recent, meaning twenty twenty one, I'm a little behind, episode of Riverdale. One of the things is fake, two are real. These guys have to guess which one's fake. We got two rounds. One while lecturing to his class about Slaughterhouse-Five, Jughead is spooked by an alien. 2. A potential investor of Pop's Diner suggests it should be a singing diner, which prompts a musical performance of Little Shop of Horrors, which segues into Old Navy product placement by a character who hasn't been on in months. And 3. While mourning her mother, Tony sings a hit song from the musical Dear Evan Hansen. You're getting good at obfuscating
0: which one it could be.
2: I think three is is the... Fake one. Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah. All right. I'm going to be
0: contrarian and go Jughead and the alien. Daniel and Edwin are right. Yay. No, to
1: be fair, they did do something very similar where another character mourned their daughter dying by becoming obsessed with a musical, like a recent Broadway musical, which segued into a lot of (laughs) musical numbers.
2: I just wanted the other two to be true. Round two.
1: One. In a desperate attempt to extract information from a man, Betty's mom cries in front of him and then Betty threatens to cut his feet off with a chainsaw. Two. In a desperate attempt to reclaim their new church from Cheryl's mom, the gays, Cheryl and Kevin, team up to perform several miracles and give Cheryl sainthood. Three. In a desperate attempt to prevent her father from shutting down her jewelry store, Veronica sells a video of her and Betty performing Toxic by Britney Spears as an NFT. I'll
0: go with one again. Go, I'm going to go with Craig. I'm going to guess three. Daniel is
1: once again correct. It is the NFT <laughs> one that I made up. <laughs> though it also sounds like something the show would do. So that's been it for everyone's favorite show than the show. I'm Connor Lloyd Cruz. You can catch me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz.
0: All right, guys. Well, it was wonderful having... Two of you for an hour and a half and one of you for 10 minutes. But Edwin, I'm very happy because you're, you're okay. I'm starting to worry about you. Like I'm your uncle or your father. (laughs) So I'm glad you were just sleeping in late Tonight you can see the final Episode of Berlin Alexanderplatz if you Want to although again I don't know Well you can see it it's an amazing Two hours then tomorrow we are Doing at the Million Dollar Theater Movie Palace uh, Clockwork Orange and Eyes Wide Shut On 35mm uh, Next Tuesday Wings of Desire Next Wednesday the final Fastbender, In a Year of 13 Moons God Willing On 35mm and next Thursday Tim Burton's Ed Wood on 35mm You can find out about all of this on secretmovieclub.com. You can write us a community at secretmovieclub.com. This episode, as always, was edited by our chief creative content officer, Connor Lloyd Cruz. Secret Movie Club Podcast 85. Connor had the great idea that, hey, we've been doing all these fastbenders. He was our director of 2021. We need to have a capper episode. And so Andrew Groves, who uh, was is a friend of mine, we met when we were going to film school at USC, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I did sound on Andrew's uh, a master's thesis which was a covert feature he made a feature film in 12 days under the aegis of doing a master's thesis which i just thought was hardcore and i was like hell yeah i'm in for that and it was heavily influenced by fassbender and goddard i was like what is this movie about andrew and he was like have you never seen any fassbender i was like no and that began my journey with fassbender so andrew and i are gonna do the recap of the fassbender year that'll be secret movie club podcast 85 thank you guys for being here i will see you next week have have a good week! I, right. I love you, Martha,
2: Craigie, Conan, Benny.